This comes in handy if you don't know, week to week. Uh, you don't want to lose sight of this. So this has been a uh, tragic week for our surrounding community. On Tuesday morning, a school bus with about 50 students in it got in an accident. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, over the past 11 years, school buses have annually averaged about 26,000 crashes. Uh, that's a pretty significant number. That, that, to be honest, that was a lot more than I was anticipating. But of these 26,000 uh, crashes annually, only 10 annually died from a crash. And unfortunately, this was one of those rare bus accidents that led to a death, as one student, Aiden Clark, was ejected from the bus and died in the accident. A set of parents were not able to put their kid to bed Tuesday morning, um, and breaks my heart. I know it breaks your heart as well. Um, breaks the heart of the Clark family, I, I'm most certain. Um, Wednesday, Lawrenceville, uh, our sister church, Lawrenceville, hosted a community prayer service. Uh, had to be the fullest that church has ever been. Uh, the governor even made an appearance. There were a ton of emotions in that room, uh, an extreme amount of grief in that church. Um, I am so grateful that Lawrenceville had that opportunity to minister to their community, a community that's in a state of hurting, a state of mourning and grief, as Lawrenceville is situated right in the heart of the Northwestern School District. Um, and so this morning, I'd like to observe a moment of silence in honor of the Northwestern community and the Clark family as well. And I ask that each of you take a moment to pray for the Northwestern community, and to pray for the Clark family as well. And after a moment, uh, I'll close us in prayer. So if you go ahead, take this moment of silence and seek our Heavenly Father in prayer for the community and the family. Father, we love you. Uh, we recognize that you are a good and gracious and merciful and loving Father and God to all of mankind. Father, I pray that you surround the Northwestern community with your love and your care and your peace that passes all of our understanding. Father, I pray that you watch over the Clark family as they mourn the loss of their boy, Aiden. Father, I pray that in the midst of this terrible, terrible event, that they can see that you are a good God as well, that they can see and feel your love. They can feel the love of the church Father, I just pray that in the midst of 
this terrible situation. That together as a community, as a church, we just recognize you for who you are and all of your love and all of your care for us. But Father, I just pray that you help us put our hope in a day and age that is not ruled, that is not cursed by sin, but a day and age that is ruled by you and your son, Christ Jesus. Father, we long for that day. Father, I, I pray that you place that hope on the hearts of the Northwestern community and the Clark family as well. So, Father, we love you. We give you all of the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' precious and holy and powerful and loving name that we pray. Amen. So grief is something that hits everybody. Uh, it hits you when you are expecting it. Uh, like if you have a loved one that is declining and you know the end is coming, you know that grief is going to come as well. So sometimes it hits us when we are expecting it, and sometimes uh, grief hits us out of the blue as well when we are least expecting it. Uh, like this past Tuesday morning uh, in the Northwestern community, um, I'm sure the Clark family was not anticipating that Tuesday morning. I'm sure the other parents who sent their kids on that school bus were not anticipating that uh, on their first day of school. Um, and so sometimes it hits us when we least expect it. And grief is something that we have to learn to deal with as we live in a world that is and was broken by sin. And with sin, we're going to reap the consequences of that sin. And because of that sin, we, we live in, in a broken world, a present evil age, uh, where we're filled with grief. We, we are filled uh, day to day, every single day, every single hour, minute, second, tragedies like this are taking place throughout the world. And so we have to learn how to deal with this intense emotion of grief. We just started our new series on how to interact with the LGBTQ plus community as a Christian last week. But I want to take time today to focus on this topic of grief as our, as our surrounding community grieves. Um, and I say surrounding community as our, our church isn't, uh, the church building isn't located in the Northwestern community. We actually have uh, multiple families uh, within our church family that uh, are in the Northwestern district. We have more students uh, that go to the Northwestern public schools uh, than any other uh, school district. And so it's a tragedy that, that has hit our church family as well. Um, and so I want to take this opportunity this morning to tackle this big topic, this big concept of grief that we experience in our life as, as we are all approached with grief from time to time. Truth be told, we could do a whole series on grief. It's possible that we do do a series on grief uh, sometime in the future. What we are talking about today can certainly uh, be split up into multiple uh, different sermons, um, but we're going to today tackle four different principles founded in uh, God's word that revolves around grief and how we can manage grief in our day-to-day -day lives because uh, we all know, we all have been in times of mourning, uh, of grief, of sorrow. We all know that 
There'll be more times of grief coming in our future as well. Or, or maybe some of you are grieving today as well. So the four principles that we're going to be talking about of grief this morning founded in God's word. Uh, number one, we grieve because God grieves. Number two, God is near the brokenhearted. Number three, God heals the brokenhearted. Number four, we're going to talk about the hope in the age to come. And so we'll break down each of these four principles here. The first principle, we grieve because God grieves. Grief is very much a real emotion that is felt by all uh, people or most everybody. Grief is emotion uh, that does not go away when you become a Christian. John Piper writes, Christian grieving is real and it is right. Let that not be an added burden that they are walking through a season of real painful grief. That is an added burden of expecting there not to be grief when you are a child of God. But grief is very real, whether you are not a Christian or whether you are a Christian. Grief is real and it is right. And we grieve in the first place as human beings because we are created in the image of God. Uh, Moses wrote about this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Moses wrote, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so that's a blessing that all of mankind shares. We, we share in this blessing that we are all made in the image of God. Those of us who, who belong to the church, who have a living and active faith in, in God and his son, Jesus Christ, we have an added blessing of being a child of God. But all of mankind is created in the image of the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. That is a blessing that nobody can take away from anybody. We are all created in the image of, of God almighty. And this God almighty, our God almighty Yahweh, he grieves as well. In Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, uh, in verses 5 and 7, uh, this is the time of Noah. This is before Abraham, before God established the Abrahamic covenant, uh, before a lot of the heroes of our faith. Um, here in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, we read, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. If we continue this story, uh, this is the story of Noah and the ark, and Noah was found to be a righteous man. And so God saved uh, mankind through Noah and his family. But the rest of the mankind, God was not pleased with. Why was he not pleased with? Well, because it was uh, every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And so everybody else that, that God had created 
had only these evil intentions in their mind day after day after day after day. And because of this, kind of strong words here, it reads that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And then on top of that, in response to the sin of mankind, we read that it grieved God to his heart. God saw the wickedness of mankind. God regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. God was grieved when he saw the people acting wickedly as God hates sin. Sin is what separates us from God and God does not want to be separated from his creation. The masterpiece of his creation, the the, the piece of his creation that he created in his own image. He wants an intimate connection with his creation, but the sin It cuts off this connection with God. And so God hates sin, and he was grieved to his heart to see mankind acting so wicked. So that's the first instance that that we can read uh, throughout uh, the, the scripture, where we see that God himself grieved. God's heart was full of grief when looking upon his creation, looking upon mankind. Second instance that we can read about God grieving in the Bible is from Psalm 78, verse 40. In Psalm 78, the psalmist recounts the early history of the Israelites. And within this account of the early history of the Israelites, God's chosen people, the psalmist writes in Psalm 78, verse 40, quote, how often they rebelled against him, that being God, in the wilderness and grieved him, God, in the desert. And so God, uh, to to recap uh, the brief history of the Israelites, God freed the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians through the 10 plagues as they uh, eventually they were serving as slaves within this Egyptian nation. Uh, God wanted his people to leave. The people wanted to leave. And so God made that happen uh, through uh, the miraculous 10 plagues where these crazy things were happening uh, to the people in Egypt. And finally, uh, uh, God softened the heart of Pharaoh uh, and uh, God uh, told Pharaoh or Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, get out of here, get out of here, you Israelites. I don't want anything to do with you as Pharaoh's firstborn son uh, was killed uh, due to this uh, 10th and final plague. And so through God's uh, intervention, the Israelites, his chosen people, they were able to leave uh, the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh and his army, they went to go chase uh, the Israelites. He had a change of heart there, change of mind. And so he went to go pursue them. The Israelites are backed up against the sea, the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. And uh, so God, again, performed a miracle for his chosen people. Uh, He split the Red Sea, and the Israelites were able to cross over. And when the Egyptian army came, uh, God closed the sea over the Egyptian army. Uh, And so God was working miraculous wonders for the Israelites. Time and time again, God was working wonders for these Israelites. Well, the Israelites, uh, long story short, uh, they lost their faith in God. They were complaining. They were grumbling uh, to God. And God made them wander in the wilderness uh, for 40 years due to their lack of faith. And within these 40 years uh, of this nation wandering around in the wilderness, they again rebelled against God. They, they, they continually rebelled against God by, by committing sin, going against God's will um, and, and what he wanted for his chosen people. 
And so when God saw his chosen people, his people that he had done so much for, rebelling against him time and time again, we see in Psalm 78, 40, that it grieved God. It grieved God to see his people rebel against him. And so we grieve because God grieves. As we are created in the image, we are created in the likeness of a God who grieves himself. And so, of course, we human beings created in the image of God, we too are going to grieve from time to time as well. You know, that's kind of a crazy thought to think about. Uh, When we repent from our sins and we accept Jesus as our Savior, God rejoices. We, we fill God with joy. We, we fill his heart with joy when we repent from our sins and confess Jesus as our Savior. On the flip side of things, when we, when we rebel against God and submit our lives to the sin of the world, God is grieved by that. It hurts God's heart to see his creation rebel against him and fall into the trap of sin. It saddens God, God's own heart. And so we as human beings, we only have emotions in the first place because we were created in the image of a God who has emotions himself. Our emotions are not inherently bad. They're not not inherently good. They are just a part of who we are as God's chosen creation. It is not bad to grieve. There is a time and there is a place to grieve. As Solomon talks about there, there being a season for everything. There is a season for grieving. And when comes the season for grieving, it is right to grieve in your heart, just like God grieves in his heart as well. So that's the first principle that, that I want to talk about this morning when, when talking about the, this broad topic of grief. We grieve because God grieves. Second uh, principle is that God is near the brokenhearted. This is another a principle of grief found in the scriptures. Uh, this truth is plainly stated in Psalm 34. Uh, Pastor Allen uh, at the Lawrenceville Church read a piece of Psalm 34 during uh, the community prayer service on Wednesday in response to the uh, bus accident. But Psalm 34, Psalm 34 verses 15 through 18 This is David writing, and David writes, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so God hears the cry of a righteous person, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. And God is near the brokenhearted. Martin Luther, uh, the man who helped reform the church in the 16th century, not Martin Luther King Jr., uh, said that God teaches us deep things about himself. 
And Martin Luther said that God teaches us deep things about himself in prayer and on meditating on the scriptures. And these seem like obvious answers. Hopefully, we are all well aware that we can learn deep things about God and who he is through prayer and through reading and meditating on his word. These are obvious answers. And hopefully, we have all experienced this as well, where we have a better sense of who God is through our prayer, through through our communication with God, and through our reading and meditating on his word. But on top of these two things, Martin Luther also said that we can learn deep things about God through the Latin word uh, tentatio. I don't know if that's uh, the correct uh, uh, pronunciation, so for you Latin speakers out there, you might have to uh, excuse me. Uh, But tentatio, the Latin word tentatio, uh, is translated trial, testing, or affliction. And so Martin Luther says that we can learn deep things about God in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of our testing. If we see God when we go through a difficult time, God will draw us near to him and we can learn very intimate, intimate things about who our God is, things that Quite honestly, we can't learn when, when, when life is going great and, and we're riding on cloud nine. But when we hit rock bottom and when we are broken hearted, God is near you. God is near the broken hearted and we can learn very intimate things about God. A superb example of this is Job. You want to see a man who suffered tremendously and was grieved to his heart? Read the first two chapters of Job. Job was a righteous man in the eyes of God, but Job lost his livestock. He lost his servants. He lost his children. He lost his wife. All back to back to back to back. A tremendous amount of loss. A tremendous amount of suffering. And I love Job. If you were to read the account of Job, you see his initial response in the midst of all of this pain and suffering is to fall down and worship God. What a beautiful, beautiful image. But the bulk of the book of Job, it's a rather lengthy book. The bulk of the book of Job consists of Job talking to his three friends, trying to figure out why these awful, awful, awful things happen to him. Long story short, bad things happen to good people. That, that is an unfortunate reality in this world that we live in, a world that is broken and cursed by sin. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to the righteous children of God. But at the end of this book, after Job had suffered tremendously, Job tells God in chapter 42, verse 5, one of my favorite verses, he tells God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Through this tremendous suffering that Job went through, previously, Job is described from the very outset of the book. Job is described as a righteous man. And so he would have had a relationship with God. He heard of God by the hearing of the ear. But after this intense suffering that Job went through, after losing his livestock, his servant, his children, and his wife, after all of this suffering, now, now Job sees God with his eyes. 
In other words, Job is able to see God more intimately than he was able to previously before all of this suffering that he had experienced. And so God was near Job, a man with a broken heart. John Piper uh, says it this way, there are nutrients that we draw out of seasons of suffering that are strengthening to the bones of our faith and sweetening to the marrow of our faith like we can't get any other way. Eat them. Go ahead and eat them. As long as God keeps you in that season, don't waste it by wishing and wishing, wishing you'd be out of it. Go ahead and eat the fruit that grows on that tree alone, on that tree of suffering. There are bitter nutrients that we reap in times of suffering. And so instead of wishing and wishing, I just went out of the suffering. Instead, just recognize for where you are at this time and recognize there are beautiful things that you can draw out of this time of grief and this time of mourning. For God is near the brokenhearted. And maybe before your suffering, you have heard of God by the hearing of the ear, but maybe after your suffering, you see God with your own eyes. So that's the second principle. God is near the brokenhearted. Third principle that I want to talk about this morning probably around this topic of grief, is that God heals the brokenhearted. Uh, this is a, a very basic, uh, clear, simple principle uh, founded in God's scripture as well. Psalm 147, 3 reads, He heals, that, that is God. God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so not only does God draw near to the brokenhearted in the midst of their grief and suffering and heartache, but he also heals the brokenhearted. God does not leave us permanently in a state of grieving over time. God heals our broken hearts. David says in Psalm 30 that joy comes in the morning. After a night of grief, after a night of heartache and mourning, joy comes in the morning. So not only does God draw near to the brokenhearted in the midst of grief and suffering, but he also heals the broken hearted. So while we may suffer and grieve in the present, there's hope in healing, hope that God is going to heal our broken hearts. And we've all experienced this. It does get easier to bear with our grief as we draw near to God and as he heals us uh, through, through this process of time. We've all experienced this before. I'm sure of it. As uh, most, if not all of us, have probably suffered uh, the loss of a loved one, and oftentimes that grief seems overbearing at first. But over time, you learn to live with this loss in your life. Over time, God does heal our broken hearts. Our love does not go away, and there's still going to be uh, some pain. I think uh, of uh, Jamie had uh, two C-sections with our boy uh, Ezra and Ayla, and there's a lot of a pain associated uh, with these C-sections. Uh, any other mothers through C-sections, they could uh, attest to that. Like any other major procedure or cut, uh, there, there's a scar that, that forms there after the healing. 
And that scar is evidence of severe pain that once was. And sometimes uh, to this day, if Ezra's roughhousing and stepping on Jamie and stepped right in that right place on that scar, there still be some pain uh, to this day, even though this healing has taken place. And, and I truly believe that God will heal our hearts in a likewise manner. If our hearts are broken enough, there will remain a scar that is evidence of the severe pain that once was. And when we press on that scar, we still will be grieved. But the pain will be better as God heals the broken hearted. We won't read it for the sake of time, but on your own time, read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the first 12 verses. In it, Paul talks about God being the God of comfort and how God comforts and heals us in our afflictions. And when we are healed, when our broken hearts are healed, we are then able to comfort those around us who are grieving as well. And it's this beautiful process, this beautiful image of the family coming together, coming to comfort one another as God heals our hearts. We too can comfort and provide healing to, to those around us as well. And so a uh, great piece of scripture there. Uh, there's a ton of information I want to talk about uh, this morning, and we just don't have enough time. So, so read 2 Corinthians 1 uh, verses 3 through 12 on your own time and get this beautiful picture of God providing comfort and healing. And when we are healed, when we are comforted, we too provide healing to those around us. So that's the third principle is that God heals the brokenhearted. Over time, it will get easier. The, 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 the pain will heal. And if it's a severe enough pain that you have experienced, there's going to be a scar. There, there's going to be pain when you press on that scar in the future as well. That, that love, that, that pain uh, will never cease. The final uh, principle that I want to talk about this morning when revolving around grief is hope in the age to come. There is a great hope that we hold very dear as Christians. You, you might I remember when we went through uh, the book of Romans, Paul said in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so Paul tells us we will suffer. We will grieve in the present. But this suffering, this grief that we experience in the present, it does not even begin to compare to the glory that will be revealed to you and I in God's coming kingdom, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And so although we will grieve, we will suffer in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your sorrow, I ask that you keep your eyes on the hope of the age to come as well. For you will suffer, and it will be hard. It will be difficult. You'll go through various trials and tribulations. There, there's no beating around that bush. But when you're going through that, you have a hope that is so much greater than any possible loss you can experience. We'll close this uh, morning uh, with, with reading uh, about this hope that we have as Christians. We've read this passage a number of times. Revelation chapter 21 Verses 1 through 5, uh, in this passage, uh, John, the writer of Revelation, has a vision of the fulfillment of the kingdom here on earth, the fulfillment of our hope, the glory that Paul talks about in Romans 8, that, that, that you can't even compare your present sufferings with this hope that we have, this glory that we will partake in. 
And so in uh, excuse me, uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, uh, the writer John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so in, in this vision of this future glory being revealed to us uh, that, that John has of the coming kingdom, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the beautiful holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You could think about uh, the, the, the feelings, the emotions associated with, with a wedding day. And as the, this beautiful city was coming down from heaven to earth, all of a sudden, John, who is having this vision, he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God is going to dwell with his people. Amen. God is going to dwell with his people. Not only figuratively are we going to be able to see God for who he is, but we will literally, I firmly believe that literally we will see God face to face as God himself will be with his people. That is going to be a glorious day. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. amen. And as God himself is going to dwell with us, dwell with his children, he's going to take his hand, he's going to wipe away the tears from your eyes. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things will have passed away at that time. God is making all things new. And in the midst of our present suffering and trials and tribulations and mourning and grief, we have a hope of a day and age where everything wrong with this world will be made right. There is no better hope here on earth or in heaven than the hope that we have as Christians. God himself is going to be with us. We're going to fall down at his feet and worship him and see his eyes face to face. He's going to wipe away our tears. Death itself is going to be destroyed. Death is going to be defeated. Sin is going to be defeated. Satan, the devil, is going to be defeated. Everything wrong with this world is going to be made right. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. This is the hope that we have in the midst of our grief. 
And so remember, our present grief doesn't begin to compare to this hope. And so I just wanted to take this morning to hit the pause button on our series that we started last week and to focus on this topic of grief as it truly was a tragic event that our community witnessed on Tuesday. The death of a loved one is never easy, and it adds a whole another layer when it deals with the death of a child. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay to grieve. It's good to grieve. We grieve because God grieves. We're created in his image, and he created us to grieve in seasons of mourning. And so it's okay, it's right, and it's good to grieve when your heart is broken. That is how God created you. He filled you with those emotions just as he has those same emotions himself. Don't hide from that emotion. And when we are faced with that grief, when we're going through a season of mourning and grief, know that God will draw near to you if you seek it out. There is a blessing in getting to know God on a deeper level when we go through seasons of grief. So I encourage you to remember the story of Job, a man who suffered tremendously. And after all of his suffering, he was able to tell God, God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I see you on a much more intimate level than I had previously. And so God draws, draws us near to him in times of grief. And as we're drawn near to God, God will also heal our wounds. God is a God of healing. If it's a big enough wound, there's going to be a scar afterward. There's going to be a residual pain. But God is a God who heals. And he will heal your broken heart. And finally, we have a hope in the age to come that far surpasses any of our past, present, or future suffering. So when you're going through the thick of it, when you're going through these times of grief, keep your eyes on the hope of the age to come. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we just recognize you as being a God of healing, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of love. Father, I just pray that you surround us with your love. I pray that you draw us ever near to you in the midst of our suffering. Father, I pray that you draw the Clark family into you, that they can draw near to you. Father, I pray that you provide healing for the Clark family. I pray that you provide healing for anyone here who's going through a time of suffering, of pain. Father, I pray that through it all, we keep our eyes focused on you and the hope of your coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right. Father, we cannot wait for that day and age where we will see you face to face with our own eyes. So Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.